Chris. And I'm Jake. And we hope that you guys enjoyed last week's finale. Finale? I mean, it was... It was a three-part series. So it was the conclusion. conclusion. How about that? Finale's overselling it, Chris. That's a little climactic, isn't it? Yes. So we hope you enjoyed that. We'll try and come up with something like that again. I got some really good feedback from everybody. And I, I did too. Yeah. I think, they, I think everybody really enjoyed that. So we'll uh, we'll get that dial back in. Um, before we get into everything, I want to remind everybody that we're on Spotify now. We are. Which is awesome. So if you're a, a Google user, you don't have to use Google Play or Stitch or anything like that. If you listen to music, it's going to be right in Spotify. You just have to search Overcrest. And uh, I don't know if they do ratings on there. They don't really. I don't know how it organizes it or rates it. But I do like Spotify. Even as an Apple guy, I use that on my computer instead of iTunes for some reason. Yeah, I, I do as well. I use Spotify. It's really good. If you use iTunes, leave us a five-star review. That would really, really help us out. I'd really appreciate that. And uh, and Yeah. So uh, I had quite the adventure yesterday. I heard uh, with uh, with Alex. Yes. So we went over to uh, uh, Alex Nelson. He's been on the podcast a few times, right? And he wanted me to take him out to test drive a car. Um, okay. And so it's out in New Richmond, which is probably I don't know an hour from my house. Yeah, from your house. From yeah. my house. So drive half hour, pick up Alex, drive another forty five minutes out to New Richmond at three thirty in rush hour. Yeah, it sucked. Not ideal timing. Not ideal. Get all the way out there, pull in the driveway, and he's looking at an E28, like five, I don't know, what would it be, a 528E, 525E, 535E, it's an five series, which is their midsize sedan. Yeah, so it's the E motor, so it's, you know, doesn't have, uh, it doesn't rev as high as, okay. as some of the other ones, like the I and the IS. It's, it's different. They have a, I think they have a different cylinder head. It doesn't rev quite as high. Interesting. Um, what you do okay. is you, you take the 325IS head or the 525IS head okay. and put it on the three or the 525E block, and then you've got a stroker engine, I believe. Oh, sure. Which is, which is pretty cool. Um, so it was a manual. Uh, uh, it was a, fi- a manuel five-speed. <laughs> is that how they spelled it? It was I manuel. <laughs> I don't remember. I'm going to guess yes by our experience. <laughs> okay. um, and it was supposed to be pretty clean, which it was. But we get there. The thing is an automatic. Okay. That was wrong. Does not start. <laughs> also not a good thing. Batteries toast will not start. Um, the guy uh, tells us that the plates that are on it don't come with it. Uh, he looked the plates up. They came with the cars he bought it. They are from a Kia. That's not a good sign. Um, so we go to drive the car and mm-hmm. it's, does not kick down. There's no okay, kick so down for the di- transmission. It doesn't downshift. Yep. So yeah, so it doesn't downshift. And the, uh, wheel started shaking violently for no reason. <laughs> the guy gets out of the car with a breaker bar and a 17 millimeter socket and starts tightening the wheels down going, Oh man, this whole time the guy's like, I'm so sorry, man. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I'm huh. so sorry. I had a couple beers. I'm so sorry. Wait, what? Yeah. Yeah. He prefaced some of this with, I had a couple beers. Um, it was it was a phenomenal experience. And uh, so I, I kind of went with Alex. I Honestly, I drove him, but I was also going to be like, do not buy this car. But I didn't even have to tell him, yeah. don't buy this car. Um, Why didn't you want him to buy the car even before you saw it? I didn't care. I was impartial at oh. the time. But I knew that maybe I could tone back the excitement a little bit, gotcha. which I would do for anybody. Like if I went to look at a car with you, you, you were super excited about. That's I, literally the opposite of what you did with this 911. Well, I thought, I didn't. <laughs> well, I thought it was. If I would have thought it was a bad deal, I would have reeled you back in okay. and been like, "Jake, yeah, you don't want this car." You were like hype man for that exchange. Yeah, I know it was great. Well, I, <laughs> if you weren't going to buy it, I was. Yeah, so I mean, it's, I it's whatever. Um, so then, uh, so then, Alex, um, being twenty year old uh, man that he is, mm-hmm. needed needed to spend that money immediately. Like okay. if it wasn't the five twenty eighty or whatever it was, he needed a car so, immediately. And just to add some context, this is our friend who has the really cool uh, Z3 M-coop. Coupe, yeah. M-coupe uh, on bags, and it's like it's really cool. Yep. So what is this like a project car for him or a it's, daily it's gonna driver? Be his winter car, okay. Daily driver, winter car. Which I mean, if the thing would have been clean and it's and it would have started and the title wasn't from a Kia and it didn't wobble violently, maybe and then you could maybe get away with. And every light wasn't blinking on the dash. <laughs> you could maybe get away with it being an auto and just drive it because it was pretty right. clean. Like the chassis was clean, but it had like the the headlights were the sealed beam, like little four inch, five inch headlight okay. ones. And it said like GE halogen, and it had like this metal plate on the headlight. So it's like back in the day that was the king shit headlight. But by now it probably should have been replaced. Oh. So who knows how long that car had been sitting around? Because it had like the old early nineties, late eighties GE halogen 
like embossed. I like how that's kind of your your litmus test. As you look at the headlights, and well, I just noticed that. I'm like, wow, this looks like this headlight looks like ancient. Hey, if it, it, it if it never broke, they break. Okay, yeah, seal beam headlights are junk. Um, so anyway, so we left there, okay. and uh, Alex. And how like, far away was this? This is New Richmond, okay. which is I don't yeah, know. It's about an hour from you. Yeah. So then we went and drove a. Uh, we, we we need to buy something now, Alex. Is, I'm like, dude, you have all summer. You don't need to buy anything right now. But also, right. I was kind of excited for him to get something. So we started <laughs> looking on his phone because it's not your money. It's just fun buying yeah, a car. Just fun. So yeah, sure, okay. I'm living vicariously through right. someone else buying a car. So um, anyway, so he started going through Craigslist. He's like, oh, look at this Audi 4000 Quattro. And he's okay. like, I think that's Taylor Fingers' car. I'm like, well, I know Taylor Finger. He's in my phone. I'm like, let's call him up. Okay. So, we went and looked at uh, Taylor Fingers Audi 4000 Quattro. Yep. And uh, it was a little bit rough. It had some clunking going on. There was okay. maybe a little bit more rust than we thought it might have. I mean, Taylor's, you know, takes good pictures of things. And uh, so the car maybe had a little more rust. <laughs> okay. And uh, the brakes didn't work so great. And it had a screwdriver for a shifter, which we all knew going in. Kind of like, like that, though. We all knew. I mean, but there, but on the converse <laughs> side, there's a lot of cool stuff that had been replaced. It had like new brakes, new bushings, new this, okay. new that. And so, it is, I mean, uh, Audi 4000. What year was that? Uh, it was like an 86. Yeah. So it was like locking differential, quattro. I'm like, right. dude, but my this point, will be the epic winter car. Oh, yeah. That is the best winter car you can get. But my point was going to be, you know, this is a what? 32 year old car so right you have to i mean give it some take it with a grain of salt right needed help okay okay i'm 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 being trying to be kind it needed it needed help okay but we wanted to drive it anyway and just see if alex liked it a little bit yeah so we got in it and drove around the block and then he got on it for the first time Mm -hmm. and he heard the sound which i'm gonna have you play in a second but his eyes got like dinner plates <laughs> and it is a cool sound because you this is the classic audi five cylinder from like their heyday of rallying yeah, yeah. well it's a 10 valve naturally aspirated engine oh it wasn't the turbo no so it's 10 valve naturally okay. aspirated 100 and i don't know 130 would be generous i think it's maybe like 102 it's somewhere yeah. between 100 and 130 horsepower i don't remember what but they don't have a ton of power. But the the gearbox is pretty short, mm-hmm. and uh, they make great noises. And when he got on it, you could have put a sandwich in his mouth the whole thing. <laughs> like I mean, it was just like his eyes lit up and his mouth got all big, and he just fell in love with the car. Oh, but so why don't you play the clip so we everybody can hear kind of what it sounds like. Okay, that's 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 enough. So that's uh, that's the sound they make. And it's just this, this great five-cylinder noise. Guttural. Yeah, it's it's a it is a cool sound, and it and it sounds better than that in person, obviously. But man, it sounded great. And he all of a sudden was like, he went from like I don't know about this car to oh my god, this is amazing. And now he's on his way up to Bemidji to buy a 740 IL. Oh, instead. so I thought you were oh, going that he he bought that car. He did not buy that car. Oh, okay. Um, and now it's no longer for sale because whatever. Anyway, so that's <laughs> okay. That's it. So hopefully we'll hear from him on what he's getting for his daily driver. Now he's going to build like a VIP huge 740 IL that has all of the things, like every single possible option. It's got 1998. It had nav. I mean, it's like, what does that screen look like? A 1998 version of navigation? Not only the screen, what does the control unit for it look like? (laughs) You know, it's got to be some huge box, heated rear seats, heated steering wheel. So that, I, okay, you you tell that to me, and that seems like so many things that are gonna break on a what twenty some year old car. Twenty years old, twenty years, twenty year old flagship car. The thing is gonna be a I would disaster. Stay away from that, it's gonna be <laughs> Alex. A, don't do it. It's gonna be a disaster. It's what time is it? It's currently six thirty eight. He's already on his way home with it. I'm gonna guess. So okay. yeah, we'll, maybe we'll uh, maybe I'll call him during the break. That'd be kind of funny. Yeah, um, we'll, we'll hear from that. Uh, so uh, before we get too much farther, I want to tease that we do have a guest coming on today. We do. Um, I always forget to tease this right away, but it's Alec Robbins, and he is a Formula Drift driver. And I wanted to to bring him on to kind of talk to him about drifting because I don't know anything. Yeah, neither do I. And I'm I really in the don't. Same so boat. I'm really excited to have him in and and talk to him about that. Um, my my experience with drifting is breaking my MG around a roundabout, as we right. know. Yes. <laughs> so yeah. uh-huh. <laughs> he can tell us all about that. That'll be really interesting. So before we get uh, to what you're up to, we had a, a message that was sent to to us. Uh, yeah, we did. Um, Brandon and- Porter asks, he says, Chris, I was out in the garage this weekend working on a couple of rabbits, and I thought of this question for you. What was your top three cars that you have owned, and do you know where they are today? Bonus question, if you do know where they are, do you still see them driving around, and how do you feel about them now with the new owners? <laughs> um, so it's really – I've owned so many cars, it's it's really hard to 
decide. Obviously, my 911 is my my blue car is my favorite car I've ever owned. Your current car. My current yes. car. The white one I owned isn't even close. The one that I owned before this. There's many Mark 1s that I like a lot more than my white 911 SC. Why didn't you like the white 911 as much? It was too nice. It really was. <laughs> you know, it was so, the car was so nice and so clean that you couldn't do anything to it without devaluing the car. Right. Which or would have been be afraid stupid. of driving it. Well, else. yeah. I mean, it was original Grand Prix white. It had sports seats that were brown. I mean, it was, I mean, it was a really great. That car is probably $50,000 SC now, 45. Yeah. I mean, it, it's a really, it was a really nice car. And I rebuilt the motor and I oh, rebuilt it right, to stock and, yep. it, and it didn't make any more power. So I spent like $8,000 rebuilding the top end of the engine and it felt well, exactly that wasn't the same. By choice, you did that because there was an issue. Broken head studs. Yeah. Yep. Broke. But still, I didn't make that mistake twice. Next time I did it on this car, <laughs> I built the motor. Yeah. Um, so anyway, so my, my, uh, my first rabbit Okay. Um, ever that was my first personal car is probably um, pretty close to my heart. It's my it's my favorite car that I've ever owned. Okay, um, other than the nine eleven, right? So nine eleven, your first Volkswagen Rabbit. Yep, and I know where that car is now. It is in, crushed into a cube in a junkyard because <laughs> um, I gave it to uh, uh, Brian Connor, I think is his name, and Brian Yelt, and I'm happy to call them out because they fucked me. Okay, um, and uh, what they did is I think it's Brian Connor. I hope. Th- is that guy? That's the guy from Terminator. Gonna, no, Brian. No, we're Brian O'Connor is from Terminator. Okay. Well, I know it's Brian Yelton and his buddy. They had like a thing they were trying to do. They were trying to start a business or whatever. And I was young, and I mm-hmm. and the motor blew up. I don't remember what exactly happened, but it died. And it was a four door baby blue Mark One. And I'm like, hey, I really want to put this TDI engine in this car. So this is like 2003, 2000, okay. something like that. So we got a TDI motor from a 2002 Jetta, which almost at, at that time was essentially a brand new engine. I didn't know how to weld. I didn't know how to do any wiring. I'm like, I want you guys to just bolt this engine in this car. Sure. That's all I want. And they cut the motor mounts off the car. They just cut the ears off. I don't know what they were thinking of doing. Um, and then they they couldn't figure out what to do, so they rolled the car into their backyard and filled it with garbage from other projects that they were working on. Oh, geez. So it became to the point that it was so bad, the windshield got broken and in hindsight, I should have kept the car anyway, but mm-hmm. I was so depressed that I let them buy the car for me for like 500 bucks. Oh. You know, so it was just like. You just wanted to be rid of it I just at the wanted, time. I just wanted it to go away, and I really regret that now. I, it really How long did me. you own it before you gave it to them to work on? Probably three or four years. That okay. was my, you know, that was my car. I was like 17, 18 sure. years old. That was my first car that was mine. You yep. know, my, oh, my, gotcha. my grandpa actually bought the car for me because he was really into the Y2K thing. So okay. he, he bought like a windmill and like a diesel generator. Oh, seriously? And yeah. So he bought this car because it's like the uh, apocalypse-proof car, right? A diesel right. rabbit. They just run. You don't need electricity. They just run. Right. You can pull startup and they'll run till they run out of fuel. <laughs> so he bought that. And he thought I would hate it. It's like baby blue. I'm like a yeah. 17-year-old boy. But I actually really, really, really like the car. Um, so th- those are your first or your top two. And then do you have a, th- a third? I do. It's my it's my tan rabbit that I used to have, which I ended up totaling hitting a deer. But okay. I learned so much because it was tan. The deer thought it was another deer. It was going to start mating with yeah, it. Yeah, it was, well, it was beige. beige. It was manila beige. So it's like a yellow tan. Um, and it had like a Britax rig top. And I had a 16 valve that was really, a really crazy 16 valve in it um, with carburetors, side drafts. It made a lot of power. It was cool. You could do burnouts in second gear to third gear. <laughs> Great car, really fun. And I learned everything I needed to know about carb tuning and engine building and sure. and wiring and ignition and fueling and timing and everything I know now was really learned on that car, fucking that car up, breaking stuff, having to do things over again, going through engines, going through carburetors that were bad, getting carburetors that were good, doing standalone and mega squirt and ITBs and bike carbs. And I mean, I did so much shit on that car yeah. and it taught me so many things. And that car um, actually got sold to, uh, it got, it had a rag top on it, and it got sold, and that got welded up, and I, I can't remember the name of the guy who bought it. So when you say rag Lo- top? Like a, like a pullback rag top. Oh, sure. Okay. And uh, a, a guy named Logan actually bought that car for me, and I don't know what happened to it. Don't worry. But, uh, yeah, yeah, so it ended up getting like spray-painted black, and I think it was going to be like an autocross car or something. They fixed the front end, put a round headlight set up on it, you know, okay. fixed the core sport and stuff. So, sure. Um, not super happy about how that one worked out either, but... Yeah, well, there you are. Um, and, you know, you said you learned a lot um, about engine tuning and carburetors yeah, yep. and working on your own car with the Rabbit. If you didn't want to do all your own work, you know where you could have taken it? SCI. To our sponsor, yep. South Central Imports, SCI. And I have to say, I learned a lot from Chad. 
I did pay Chad to do some work for me way back in the day, and he was always so gracious with his time back then, even when he didn't know me very well. Yeah, and, and he, uh, well, to be fair, he's still gracious with his time, just m- more busy these days. Yeah, he is. But he will be gracious with the time with you as a new customer because you're going to go visit him because they've been in the business since 1976. They are uh, a premier Volkswagen Audi exclusive shop, so they uh, really know what they're doing with these cars, specifically a rabbit like that or any modern Volkswagen Audi as well. Um, you can find them on Facebook at SCI Performance. Otherwise, give them a call, 612-722-8897. So what's the update on your car? What's going on? What's new? Yeah, so my 911 I bought a couple weeks ago, uh, fixing a lot of like little projects on it. So I did the European headlight conversion right away. Thank God. Yep. I did. Uh, I got rid of the air box that was like the, the filter, the air filter in that air box probably hasn't been changed since I don't know. It probably, probably around sat the sa- <laughs> since the 80s. So I'll bet like early 80s is when that. I'm guessing it was changed. probably changed around the time someone did that transmission fluid. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Yeah. So you came over uh, this last weekend and helped me out in some of these projects. And I changed the transmission fluid. And you're like, you know, don't even bother with it. Just top it up because you, saw, engine, you said it was low. I thought I, I thought it was low and just the transmission didn't feel great. And so I did new shifter and bushings and everything else. And I was like, well, I want to do the fluid as well just to know everything's yep. up to up to par. And you were like, ah, don't worry about it because they did the, the engine only 15,000 miles ago. They swapped Why the engine. Why would they swap the fluid? They would at least change the fluid, do all think. the motor mounts, which they also didn't do, yep, and everything else. That. So we, we pull uh, the transmission plugs and it's supposed to be like a nice thick gear oil. It came out like muddy water. Yeah, it looked like coffee. It was disgusting. Yeah. And the mag- the uh, drain plug has a magnet on it, which is really great. And I look at it, and it's like domed. It almost looked like there, there looked wasn't like a, a magnet. It someone like, like it was, glued a fuzzy cat to it or something. Right, <laughs> a exactly. Black cat. It was just gross. And what you didn't see, that was like an indented plug, too. Like there oh, was yeah, I know. so much yeah. sludge in there. Well, that's so, probably from your first gear getting ground over and oh, over I'm sure. and over again. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So that was exciting. Uh, what else have I been doing to it? Yeah, got rid of the airbox, went to K&N, like stacks. Yeah, thing sounds hats. awesome. It sounds really good. Removed yep. the old uh, hideous muffler. And so we started it up uh, with straight pipes. And then Chris noticed, you know, as we're like shooting flames out of the exhaust and it's backfiring through the carbs because it's running lean then that I have a bad, really bad fuel leak yeah, I'm coming like, out of the carb. Yeah, I'm like, shut it off so that could have been catastrophic, but I did fix that as well. Good. So we're on the road to recovery with that thing. Um, also, next step is going to be wheels. This is, this is a big problem right here. Well, right now. the wheels on it are certainly a problem. They're like mini light replicas from back in They're the awful. 80s. They're pretty hideous. And so I, I'm trying to figure that out. And I know the model I'm just of si- wheel. I'm just sitting over here just like, oh, I know the model of wheel I want. And, and, he, and he wants... You go ahead. Well, no, I just I I need to. I also want my wife's buy-in because she was supportive enough as it is to to let me purchase this car, right? right? And so I'm trying to like get her buy-in and be have, have her be excited for it. And t- to her credit, she is, and she wants to drive it. And yeah. she even got her she like loves her manicure. She oh. got her nails done. We'll have to like show a picture of this with uh, the orange 911 on one hand, like in between the fingers, yep. and then Chris's 911 on the other one with the overcrest symbol. It was yeah, really I like cool. it. That was really cool. that was a cool little surprise when she came home with that. But anyway, so she wants gold wheels. Here's so the she problem. Has this thing with gold wheels here's the problem tell me the problem the car is orange right it has a lot of chrome trim right gold does not go well with orange and chrome trim i I would compare it to wearing a black belt with brown shoes or a brown belt with black shoes or wearing gold and silver uh jewelry right next to each other there's like all kinds of things like an orange dress yes i mean it just does not work and just to make myself feel better and i knew what the answer would be i called the owner of the company (laughs) and i said what do you think about this and of course he agreed with me because it is the right choice it is the right choice obviously the right choice is whatever you want to do right well i appreciate that's wow that's like a lot of leniency (laughs) from you chris however i will i will ruthlessly and mercilessly make fun of you if you get gold wheels almost worth doing it just for that but um please don't to like to her credit though she says well the the rear deck lid the badging is all in gold because they always did gold in the early 911 i would change that you would change that as well. Yeah, I would change that to silver. So and just set them away. Yeah. Them to the side. So, anyways, wheels will be coming. We'll we'll figure out what what colors are going to be here soon. Um, also, just last kind of wrap up of what I've been doing is the the doors on that car, along with a lot of other things, were like hideously aligned. Like I don't know what they. It was there was a respray done and it was done terribly. Yeah, quite poorly. 
And so they must have taken off the doors because they're so like kitty wampus on there. And so yesterday, uh, with my dad's help, I was working on getting the doors aligned, and it's it's a pain. Yeah, it doesn't because it's not fun. Well, you're moving it in three dimensions, trying to get it millimeter perfect in three yep. dimensions. Plus, you have to move the door striker, the door, around, yep, or so the catch. Well, and that that's the last step. First, you get the hinges right mm-hmm. and everything else. But so I was reading more about this because I was trying to figure out, you know, like what is the, the best process for this? Is there like a trick to doing it? And there really isn't. It's just a lot of trial and error and everything else. And I got it much better, I'll say. But while looking, the factory recommendation of how to, quote, adjust your hinges. Jesus Christ, that is I'm a giant showing, fucking hammer. I'm showing Chris a picture. Factory recommendation is literally to take a wood block up against your hinge and just slam a hedge sledgehammer against it. It. okay did you do that i have not done that yet <laughs> i just found that today okay. i thought that was hilarious though um, one thing you could do that would uh might make your life easier just go to a body shop and please say could you please align these doors yeah somewhere that like that's familiar with porsches or something just be like get these doors aligned for me it might save you a little bit of i'm a sure it wood will. hammer fucking i, oh I just thought that was hilarious that looks savage Yes, it does. So that's what's been going on with me. Um, we'll, uh, I'm excited to, to check in with Alec when we come back. Yeah, we'll see you guys in a little bit. All right, we are back in studio with Alec. Thanks for coming in, man. All the way down from... From up in Becker. Becker, which Becker. is probably like a hour, hour drive. Yeah, it's about an hour. Yeah. Just under an hour. Well, we really appreciate you coming down. Thanks. And... Uh, I went on the Minnesota Drift page trying to find somebody to talk to about this, about drifting, because I don't know fuck all. Like, literally, (laughs) I don't know anything. I don't, I know, like, I see it, I'm like, oh, that looks cool. I want to be able to do that. You know, you see, like, Chris Harris and all the people on TV are able to just, like, do these beautiful drifts. And it seems like that's, like, the quintessential coolest shit to do. Oh, it is. To be able to throw your car sideways whenever you want with control and not die. Right. So that seems to be, uh, that's all I know about drifting. So that's that's the goal. (laughs) Yes, yeah, so, so. <laughs> to not die, <laughs> not die and look good doing it. Yep. So, um, but before we get into like the actual drifting stuff, I want to get a little bit of uh, history about you and kind of where you okay. came from yeah. and uh, and how this started for you. Um, where did you grow up? I grew up right in Becker. Um, I've I was born in St. Cloud. I lived in Sartell for a little while and moved out to Becker when I was in like the sixth grade. So I've always been in Central Minnesota. So. Okay, is that at the house there? Did you have like cars in your family? Was it your dad? Yes, or? yes. Uh, my dad uh, he pretty much raised me around cars um he had a 71 gto he's had that thing since high school and he's always been working on cars and building cars and did he do racing uh not really not uh we did a lot of car shows and then uh with that and then we were we did a lot of spectating we would go to dirt track races we would go to uh like the local uh i-94 speedway when that was still around and go to the circle track races and whenever i go to the circle track races i'm always digging dirt out of my teeth yeah (laughs) it's like it's in your hair it's It's in your teeth it's it's everywhere it's uh i-94 was actually a tar track too that was it was i think it was dirt way back in the day and then they went tar and then they went back to dirt and yeah, it's a shame it's not at the round. Have you ever here. driven anything like that? Just curious. Like, you, uh, you mean like that track or like a... Just like one of those dirt, ra- dirt I track cars. I think it'd be a blast, though. It seems like you're it just drifting like so the entire fun. time. Yeah, it, like these little dirt tracks, you just drift and drift over yeah, for you like get, an hour. A lot of the car setup, I think, is very similar okay. in, a, in a way to a drift car, you know? Except you're always turning left. Yeah. Don't right. they actually set them up where like yeah. arrow is different oh, yeah. from yep. left to right yep. and everything else? Yeah, everything yeah. is weird. It's all set to just go like this. So... What was your what was your first car that you did anything with? Uh, my first actually, my truck I have had since high school. Okay. That was my very first vehicle, and uh, I had that. My dad was actually the original owner, so I've got memories all the way back to when I was a little kid sitting in the passenger seat, you know, shifting gears while he's driving. And what kind of truck is this? Uh, it's a 1986 Nissan D21 okay. hard body. Uh, so he was the original. Yeah, I th- always thought hard body is such a great name yeah, for something. Right. I know. And I, I still associate it with the truck. And I don't know anything about Nissan chassis at all. But I was like, oh, yeah, I think that's what they called a hard body. Yeah. there's. I think they had like a double walled bed or something in them. So it was like supposed to be harder than all the other trucks. And oh, so that was like a Nissan term. Yeah. Like hard yeah, body. Yeah. I wish somebody would call me a hard body. <laughs> <laughs> My wife, if you're listening. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, What's what's the story with that truck now? So obviously you, that truck has carried you through. When did yeah. you start like doing stuff to it? Um, well, so I had the truck and it was bone stock when I got it in high school. My dad back when he owned it, he had it lowered a little bit, and then he, he actually sold it to a friend who you know put it back to stock. It sat in one of his garages forever and kind of got a little rusty and just sat there. When I turned sixteen, we bought it back for my first vehicle. 
Um, when we did that, I, you know, being a 16-year-old, I lowered it a little. I spray-painted the wheels black, you know, put a stereo on it, yeah, little sure. stuff like that. <laughs> and then uh, when I turned 18, like a day or two after I turned 18, I was in a car accident with it and uh, smashed the front end up really bad. What happened? Uh, rear-ended somebody. Okay, yeah. <laughs> All right, I've done that. It, yeah, it happens. Um, but, yeah, so we did that, and then that kind of forced me, basically, to get into, you know, tearing the truck apart, uh, building it, um, you know, basically digging into it and learning the mechanics of it, learning how to work on vehicles, things like that. Do you think without the sentimental attachment with your dad, you still would have rebuilt the truck, or would you have moved on? I don't know. Uh, being a bright or a broke high schooler, it, uh, that kind of... <laughs> That's kind motivation. Of hindered, yeah, yeah, that hindered the ability to just go buy a new car, you know? Yeah, forced your hand. So, uh, but yeah, like I had mechanical knowledge. I raced motocross before that. Now, obviously, I've been into cars, so I know how to, like, I was rebuilding motors and dirt bikes and things like that. But uh, yeah, just getting into uh, the bodywork aspect of it and doing that. And then, uh, yeah, so that's kind of. What, what was the. Was there a first drift for you that you can remember? Like, man, I am sideways right now. This is amazing. Was there like a, a moment? <laughs> there, yeah. I mean, yeah. There, I had some experiences uh, like in high school, and we would like try to drift. And I remember blowing out tires from hitting curbs on accident because you know, like <laughs> the first time you drift, and then you counter steer and you overreact and you hit a curb and like stuff like that. So like, I have done that. that. I think I that's going to save me. That's too. my first uh, really real experience. You know. Um, but then, uh, I think my first, uh, outside of, you know, just fucking around in high school, uh, like, uh, I think after a cars and coffee event in like 2012 or 13, uh, me and some buddies went down to a drift event at Elko and that was my first time actually like seeing drifting in real life and, uh, seeing the cars, you know, do the big banks at Elko. And I think that was like, after seeing that, it's like, I got to do that. The light bulb went off in your head. So how did you transition from just being a guy that uh, drifts his car, his truck into a curb? (laughs) And uh, how do you go from that to uh, the the first rookie season that you had? Was there like a transition period there? How did you get there? Yeah, it's a, it's a huge learning curve. Um, We would uh, like the first time we went drifting early. um, Actually, when I went to that first Elko event uh, prior to that, I had uh, put a V8 in the truck. Uh, so I got rid of the four cylinder. From what? Three fifty. Uh, yep, it was a small block three fifty. We pulled out of a Camaro from behind my neighbor's shed. Pulled <laughs> that's it out, convenient. Dropped it in the truck. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> did you have to make the mounts for that yeah, and everything? Yeah, did, and that's another thing. Being a mini truck, there is no aftermarket support. Yep. There, you know, you can't buy bolt-in motor swaps. You can't buy lowering. You know, so that's the one thing knuckles. they don't make an LS one kit for. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Basically. Yeah, they make the universal kits for that. You yeah. know, welded in, cut it out. Yep. But uh, so yeah, that uh, that kind of teach or taught me how to uh, fabricate and you know learn pretty much everything I know about vehicles today. Um, so, um, how was driving that thing once you put that motor in it? What, I mean, he'd go it off, was wild. It must have just be been a a, the transition must have been crazy. Yeah, yeah. Um, it was just a stock three fifty. So I mean, it wasn't insanely crazy, but it was a lot of fun. A lot yeah, of I fun. bet. Well, those trucks kinda, are light too, aren't they? Yeah, this one uh, with. The LS and the way it's set up right now is about 3,000 pounds. So it's not super light. And that's body on frame. Yep. Right. Okay. Yeah. That's, I think, what makes it kind of heavy. You got a full frame underneath it, you know? Right. But, uh, but yeah, so we, uh, we had that V8 in it, and me and my friend would kind of, you know, go out and mess around on streets and things like that after we, you know, saw that Alco event. And then I think the following year, I think that was 2013, was when I went Hold on to, a second. How do you, as, a, as a poor kid, how are you fording all these tires to drive around the neighborhood? <laughs> oh, they're free tires. So you just, like, grab somebody's yeah, tires? Yeah, at, like, uh, I, I worked uh, at a dealership, and I had a bunch of friends that worked at dealerships, and uh, we would just basically take... People would, uh, you know, take tires off if they had funny wear on them or if they had a broken belt or a vibration, and we would take them all, go mount them up and burn them off in the weekend, you know? Well, that awesome. sounds awesome. So, yeah, it, I mean, it starts out very cheap and escalates very quickly. I bet it does. <laughs> yeah, I bet it does. Um, but yeah, so we, uh, I think 2013 was the first year that I actually went to a track event. Um, we would, you know, up at BIR, they got like the proving grounds and power crews. And uh, I think that was the last year that Raceway Park was open. Okay. If you guys remember that track in Shock I don't. I don't. Uh, it was uh, basically just a small uh, tar oval track with like a figure eight in the middle. Oh, was it right next to Valley Fair? Yeah, yeah. yeah okay, I know where that is. Yep. And uh, they would have open track days, and so it'd be like twenty-five bucks, and just go drive. Okay. Hmm. So, 
take all your free tires and go and mess around for the day. And you're doing this with the truck. Yep. Yep. Okay. And, uh, was there any place for that truck in competition at all? Uh, yes and no. Uh, a lot of like in MDU and stuff, they don't have any rules against trucks. Once you get to like Formula Drift, you you can't run a body on frame vehicle. That's Ooh, a Harley. That is a Harley that I hear out there. <laughs> Good sound effects in the yeah, back. Yeah, I guess. Exactly. <laughs> um, so, yeah, once you get to the, when you're in, like, the amateur levels, uh, you know, it's kind of basically a free-for-all. Like, if you go go up to, like, these events at Brainerd, you'll find, you know, people in full-size trucks just hucking it around and, like, just stupid stuff like that, old muscle cars. and Are a lot of these guys really, just breaking their car? They run it and stuff? I mean, oh, yeah. Is it, yeah. Yeah, it just, they just don't give a fuck? Yeah. Uh, well, I mean... Yes and no. So you know, it uh, it's racing, so shit happens. You hit stuff, you break stuff. But um, how do you go from doing that to you know being where you are now? FD. What's the yeah? What's the <laughs> so? Uh, well, well we first did, of all, how do you go from that to the rookie series that you're at? What's that period? We uh, so it was like three three or four years of just driving. You know, like doing these track days, doing Brainerd events, doing stuff like that. And uh, they got little competitions up there, and I started doing decent in those. So. It was kind of like, well, you know, I'm going to go try a pro-am event, see how I stack up against other people and, you know, just get out and travel a little bit, have some fun. Were you nervous? Uh, yeah, definitely. Um, and, you know, it was weird because we went to these events and a lot of them are, some of these pro-am cars are pretty wild. They're like specific drift built, like high horsepower, 700 plus horsepower cars. And, you know, I show up with a mini truck with leaf springs and a little V8, you know. <laughs> so uh, I didn't know what was going to happen, really. But uh, we just went down there. I ended up at my first event. We qualified third and took fourth out of, like, I think there was, like, 40 cars there. Wow. Sure. And uh, so... So what was, the, what was that like, knowing that there was other cars out there that are built for this with all this power and you beat them? What was that? Uh, you know, honestly, I think it made me less nervous because I had an excuse when I lost. <laughs> you know? <laughs> But uh, but that must have been like validation. Like, yeah. Oh was, wow, I'm I'm actually good at this, yeah, right? Yeah, and it, it was you know more rewarding, like you said, and it pushed you harder to really try and keep up and try and you know run with these guys that I've been watching for years. So was it around this time where you're like, okay, this start this happens, you place third, fourth, whatever, and then were you like, okay, I'm gonna make this happen? Was it kind yeah, of this period of time? It was kind of like yeah, I'm gonna try and see how far I'm gonna go, but uh, at the same time, it was like. You know, I better wait till round two because I don't know if that was a fluke. Like, did that just happen, you know? <laughs> yeah. And, uh, yeah, and then round two, I think we took second or third and then won wow. the third event and took second again. So, What's the hardest part of the learning curve to get to that point, uh, do you think? I'd say, you know, just driving in general. You just um, For me, I don't know that I'd be willing to break stuff. I think that would yeah, be what would scare me the most. Yeah, that's a big part. It takes a while to get over that, for sure. Um I, you know, you've spent so much time on working on these vehicles. And then uh, I had an event two years in a row, actually two events in a row, where I smashed my truck. Uh, basically, the whole front of the truck got ruined. And, uh, you know, coming around a corner and I spun out and someone would hit you, you know. Hmm. And, uh, but yeah, you, I mean, after it happens, like the, I'd say the second time, it's like you kind of get over it and you accept the fact that it's going to happen. The other guys get pissed when that happens? Is there some animosity there? Not really. I mean, everyone's pretty good. Yeah. We all realize that it can happen, but yeah, I mean, obviously it sucks. Yeah. So, but, so yeah. Is so, that is that where the drift missile concept comes in? Definitely, yeah. You, like, uh, I know just enough of this where some people, like, look down upon that, having, yeah, like, some shitty kinda, car. That, yeah, that, like, you get an old car and you just beat the crap out of it because you can and right. you don't fix it, you know? And uh, usually when people have, like, a what you would call a drift missile, they've got, like, a competition car, and then a drift missile is basically more of a practice car. Sure. That you can hit stuff and not worry about it. You know, you can learn where the back of the car is, drag it along walls, and, you know, not have to fix it. Is, that, is there, like, a zip-tie quantity requirement to become a drift missile? <laughs> yeah, yeah, you definitely need. Like, like how like many a, bags of zip-ties does it yeah, take? Yeah, it's, it's multiple. <laughs> it's close to a pallet, but not quite. Um, so for someone that hasn't seen, I've never been, I still haven't been to a drifting event. I meant to come up and see you at at proving grounds yeah. it just didn't work out how would you describe what it's like to be there compared to other motorsports events it's it's cool it's uh you know i like to describe like the uh the competition aspect of it it's like you know when you've got a last lap battle in a really good race and the guys are door to door they're pushing each other and they're flying up to the finish line and you don't know who's going to win i like that's drifting every single run hmm. so it's you know you've got multiple cars they're flying around the track you're 
inches, standing inches from the wall spectating, and you got V8 screaming, and it's it's crazy. It's a lot of fun to watch. So what are you driving now? Uh, right now, I've got a 350Z, a 2005 350Z. It's got a supercharged 6-liter LS in it. Oh, wow. A four-speed dog box transmission. And from what? What's the dog box from? Uh, it's, uh, it's a G-Force, GF4A. It's uh, basically an aftermarket. It's, it's based off of a T10 transmission from, like, the old muscle cars. Okay. But uh, mm. they're all straight-cut gears and dog rings and... Wow. Well, so this stuff. is it's, it's basically a it's what they run at NASCAR. So other than like having that motor and that transmission and stuff like that, what are some of the things that you guys do to the car to make it ready for drifting? Uh well, I mean if you're if you're at like an amateur level, uh if you're going to start out. Yeah, let's start there. Yeah, basically <laughs> uh <laughs> uh you know, you've got uh obviously a rear-wheel drive car with five-speed helps, but obviously I started out with an automatic when I very first put that V8 in. Um, so, I mean, rear-wheel drive is really the only thing you need to get sure. going. Um, then from there, Maybe you balls. know. Yep, yep. <laughs> those are yeah. second requirement. Um, but, yeah, from there, I mean, you add handbrake and uh, steering modifications and suspension are the big things. So what, what's done to the front suspension? Because when you look at some of these cars and they're drifting, I mean, it looks like the toe is just ridiculous. It's like way out there. Yeah, the toe what, and the camber are, are big. Um, how do you get the cars to do that? I just... It it's, looks far beyond the ability of me. Like, it's I really never... funny because uh, you know drift, like road racing and stuff. You're you're turning the same way that the vehicle's turning. You know, right. whereas with drifting, you're counter steering the entire time. Right. So in order to normally, you've got the caster in the car, which I'm explaining, so no one's going to be able. To... I know a caster. Is. Yeah. <laughs> no one's going to be able to see what I'm doing. Caster's how far here, ahead but... or behind the wheel is in the wheel well. Yeah. So you've got you've got basically the top of the tire if you were looking at it like the spindle is tilted back so you normally in a car when you turn into a corner it cambers in uh but in drifting you're counter steering so your tires are cambering the opposite way that you would want them to for grip so people Mm -hmm. add crazy amounts of camber in order to correct the caster so is there like special kits that you can get to allow this to go even further than stock yeah they make uh like full basically front suspension kits and in our fd car we run wise fab which is uh, it's a two inch drop knuckle. It's custom upper control arms, custom lowers. It's all custom uh, stuff. So and even more than just you know the caster and camber setup, you, it's the steering angle that it so always surprises me. Yeah, because yeah. when you're counter steering to get the most extreme angle in your drift, you have to be steering way beyond what's normally available, right? Yep, yep. And uh, they do that by adjusting the outer tie rod pickup point. They move it in closer to the uh, knuckle. That way, you know, when the because you've got the same amount of steering in the rack that you normally right. would, but when you turn that much, it moves the tie rod further. So it's actually like on the knuckle, you move the the points where yep, the, the exactly. tie rod bolts to that way out. Mm-hmm. So then you okay. Well, you move it in actually. In yep. okay, mm-hmm. gotcha. so that moves it more. Do you happen to know off the top of your head like what what is normal steering angle? I'm trying to think like degree wise. I know. What would that be? Um, I don't know in a stock in a factory. I have car, no idea. I'm just I'm curious. Sure, like but, uh, aftermarket, like it is substantial. Probably yeah, we, probably 50 degrees or something like run, that. I know the wise fab is like 65 to 68. Yeah, and Jeez. I know some of the kits get up to like 70. Yeah, so and so now picture a car going at a 70 degree mm-hmm. angle, and you can sustain that. Yeah, right. that's crazy. And you you know sometimes like with the reverse entries and stuff, you can get more angle even than what the steering has, and then kind of pull back because the front wheels aren't always gripping. Right. Oh, they're, sure. They're sliding a little bit too. So tell me a little bit about what it, what, how you win. Like when you pull up next to the car that's with you, <laughs> yeah. you know, how do you win? What, what defines a win uh, um, with the other guy well, that's I'll, with you? I'll start out by explaining the qualifying because that's kind of that it helps Perfect. describe all of it. Um, so for a qualifying run, you've got a course set out. You've got different clipping points throughout the course. So, um, there's inner clips, there's outer clips, and then there's like outer zones. Is, so, is that where like the rear, rear of the car is supposed yes, to get close yeah. to? Yeah, so you've got an inner clip. You want to graze the nose of the car right past it. Um, outer clips are basically just slide the back end past it. Uh, you've got outer zones, so you'll have like basically like a whole bank on a track would be an outer zone. So you want to drag the bumper all the way around hmm. on the way outside. How, who decides who's on the inside and the outside for that? Because obviously only one car can be. Yeah. Well, you're yeah, talking so, tandem drift. Isn't that different than... Yeah, so this is for qualifying. So okay. for okay. qualifying, you've got basically a predetermined course laid out, and you've got a driver's meeting. that The judges will tell you what they're looking for at certain points of the course, You know what you want to run and what they want to see. So basically you run a, two qualifying runs of and do you know exactly what they want to see, and then you're scored on that on basically your line, your angle, and your speed. 
So then after that, uh, you know, you rank up and you've got, you know, first through 32 or 16 or, you know, however big the competition is. And then from there, you've got the first place qualifier paired up with the last place. Okay. So then once after that, it's head-to-head competition. So you've got your first place guy is going to be running with your the last place. Um, so, so that's a serious handicap. For, I yeah, mean, that's, yeah, that's, you know, why you want to qualify high. Yeah, I guess hmm. so. And uh, so you'll line up with them. You've got two runs now. So the first run, the uh, higher qualifier is going to be the lead car first. Okay. So he'll run, and basically the lead car is just running the exact same thing as the qualifying run. You want to get the same, you know, hit the same areas, the clipping points, all that stuff, and all while going as fast and as sideways as you can. Uh, Now the follow car is basically just trying to stay right on the door of that lead car. So they're... Uh, they're using the lead car as basically a clipping point. So, hmm. you know, they're, so they're judged on how close they are to the yes, car that's yep, in front. And they want to mimic. So they want to mimic the speed. They want to mimic the angle. And so it's far more difficult. Yeah. So is there like uh, if the guy that's in front is doing poorly, is the follow car like, what the fuck is this guy doing? Yes. <laughs> that's, you know, that's got to be really difficult. You know, part of the judging is you know, when you're in the lead run, you have to run that qualifying line. And if you run a poor line or if you, you know, it's an unchaseable line or you mess up, mm. you know, you're, do- you're docked on points on that okay. as okay. well as in the follow run. So this is subjective, right? They're just looking yeah, at that yeah, being it's, like, well, that it's was 100% judged. It's not like a typical motorsport where it's like a definitive, this guy won because he crossed the line first. Right. So it's kind of hard when you very first start watching drifting. That's the hardest thing, I think, for people is, uh, you know, there's not a definitive winner and loser every time. It's, you know... Is there a panel of judges then, or yes. how is yeah, it? Yeah, there's three judges, and then they they have uh, one judge for each category. Okay. So they've got like a speed or a angle judge. A I think they have uh, um, uh, speed. What is it? Angle oh, and uh, no, it's just like style or yeah, it's like an overall style judge. Interesting. So so as as for for me as a guy that's not really into drifting and kind of always for a long time was like ah drifting it's just figure skating with a car right you know is what i always thought and i kind of like never even thought about it yeah i I think it's more like synchronized swimming oh synchronized swimming there (laughs) you go that's true that's true i like that (laughs) yeah so (laughs) you got the tandem aspect then yeah for sure but i mean i'm in a way it is but you know there's there's something that's been kind of happening over the last, and this is going to kind of get into a little bit of philosophy of of motoring and you know where the the future of cars are mm-hmm. going. But I see everything going electric, right? You've got uh, Formula E, you've got uh, teams that are leaving real racing to go drive electric cars, yeah. and all of a sudden you still have this, this these deviants over here with 700 horsepower, huge turbos, just sliding all over the place, and it seems like it's almost the last vestige of pure combustion engine motorsport and so it's kind of like all of a sudden i'm kind of like looking at it like man maybe this is all we have left let's take a look at this and the more that i i look at it it starts to become more interesting because i've kind of like shunned it for for years it's just like i just wasn't that interested in it but once you start looking at it a little bit i'm becoming like really interested in finding out more (laughs) about this yeah it Um, it takes a little bit of watching it to really figure out what's going on and really get into it right but uh yeah i think I think the drifters are kind of like they're the modern day hot rodders, you know. Yeah, we're we're out there, we're building our own cars, and we're taking them and doing all this wild stuff with them. And uh, it'll it'll definitely take a while for the electric stuff to catch on. I think. Well, and besides it just being like raw horsepower, more kind of uh, you know kind of the outlier in the motorsport world, motorsports in general are very sanctioned. They're very structured, right? Right. Whereas drifting, at least traditionally has been more kind of like run what you brung exactly, it's crazy yeah. it is subjective so there's not a whole lot of like it's not all just down to a stopwatch yeah right exactly right. yeah and it's not of only that but not it's not a race it's a show also right good so, point so you know and if you take away you know those screaming engines and wild you know everything about it you put in an electric car i think you're gonna lose a lot of that show Sure. Yeah, I think, yeah, well, there's only one way to build an electric motor. It just works. You right. know, it's just a, you know, a torque <laughs> yeah. cylinder, and basically. Going back to, you know, these are the modern-day hot routers, um, I don't think until you have a generation of people that are building electric cars in their garage, you know, yeah. and modifying and, 
doing things like that. Especially because a lot of it, when you start out, is budget oriented. Exactly. Nobody is yeah. going to buy like a total Tesla <laughs> yeah. and trying to figure out with that. You know? It kind of what you said about it being sanctioned and stuff like that kind of reminds me of. Uh, I made a post on MN Drift about you know some questions people would like to ask, and one of the questions that I thought was interesting was there's a guy that's like, is it why don't we have classes for like four cylinder, six cylinder, eight cylinder, and try and structure this a little bit more so it might help other people get involved, like more competitive, more basically. competitive, yeah. you know, kind of narrowing it down like four cylinders race with these guys six and eight is there any like thought do you know of anything coming down the pike of having more regulations i don't think so um you know i don't think there's really a like a disadvantage to running a four cylinder or v6 or inline six compared to a v8 or anything like that i mean you've got uh obviously there's a little bit more uh maintenance involved in uh you know upkeep of a four cylinder and stuff like that but right now in formula drift uh, i think second place is a four cylinder hmm. okay points. So, so it is fairly competitive yeah, regardless yeah, of what you want. it doesn't really matter there's yeah. you know there's not really a limit as to what a, an engine can produce you know so it's well, money might be the, the limit right yeah <laughs> money, I, yes. I, um, not I, only that but i think uh I'd, formula drift is still growing a lot i don't think there's enough drivers to there's really got to be a lot of people like me out there right now that are just kind of like just more yeah. recently putting their eyes on this yeah. and, be, and discovering it for the first time. Yeah, it's growing hugely, but I, I don't think there's enough drivers to to really warrant uh, splitting up the field, you know, and, and sanctioning other classes into it. Do you think that's a regional thing here? Or because, I mean, if you look probably at the East Coast or California, it's probably, there's more people, you think? Or? No, I'm, t- I'm talking like Formula Drift. Which so is national scale? Yeah, even worldwide. Formula Drift is worldwide too, hmm. so. Okay. But so there's yeah. teams from Europe and Asia that come here oh, for yeah. it? Yep. That's incredible. Wow. Yeah, they're all over the world, yeah. So I do have kind of a follow-up question talking about different classes and the rules and structure of Formula Drift. Um, it, it, also reading Chris's kind of thread on Facebook where mm-hmm. people were asking yeah. questions about you, someone mentioned, you know, it's too bad that they don't allow a body on frame cars, right. which I didn't realize. So in Formula Drift, which again is kind of the top tier professional level yep. of drifting as a sport, they only allow unibody cars. Yep. Is that, I didn't realize that. Yeah. And that's, why? <laughs> yeah, I know. I'm, I'm kind of I'm like, that's not a you question. Know, I've, never, but. <laughs> I've never really talked to him and asked him specifically why, but I think that it's mostly just due to safety reasons. Uh, you've got like the crumple zones on cars and if you throw a full frame vehicle in there, right? Um, you know, you don't have that. Um on top Plus of that, hitting other people with yeah. that. <laughs> yeah, there was actually up in Brainerd uh, at Proving Grounds, there was a, a truck that got hit by a GTO, and his frame rail went all the way through the GTO's door. Holy Ooh. shit. <laughs> I guess so, that explains it yeah, then. It kind of yeah, does. It's yeah. kind of a safety reason. And uh, But you know, that that parlays, sorry to interrupt, parlays into my next point is, you know, so you had your, your truck, the mm-hmm. Nissan Hardbody, yep. which was a frame, and so you're kind of going up the ranks here of Pro-Am, like you said, the semi-pro or kind of yep. w- however you describe that series. And uh, when you're making the jump to the Formula D, you had to go to your yeah, uh, it was, 350. it was like we hit a dead wall and we had to restart, you know. <laughs> um, Did you have to relearn how to drive the car? Was it? It was definitely a learning curve. Yeah, they, it handles very, very differently. Um, the The truck, it was kind of more consistent, I guess you could say, whereas, uh, you know, you regulate the throttle different ways and the truck likes to stay going in the same general direction, you know? Sure. Whereas, uh, in the car you can, uh, it's a lot more able to, uh, grab forward grip and you can adjust your line a lot more. It's, it's more versatile, I guess you could say. Okay. Less, so, less predictable or, but there's yeah. more out there, more things you yeah, can do exactly. with it. Yeah, so exactly. So I'm still learning with that thing a lot. Hmm. So how's this season going it? for you? You're in the midst of it right now, right? Yeah. Yeah. We've, we've only got one round done. Um, it's been a rough start to it. We had uh, a couple of engine failures right off the bat. A oh, couple? Geez. Yeah. <laughs> Man. Yeah. So we, uh, our very first time driving the car, uh, we broke a piston and bent two rods. Jeez. And then uh, got it rebuilt and went driving again. I think it was like a week or two weeks later and ended up spinning a bearing in the motor and took it out again. And so actually at that first event down in Atlanta, uh, I borrowed the motor out of my brother-in-law's 240 <laughs> and uh, tossed it in the car. And that was actually the second time we blew the motor up was the night before we were supposed to leave for FD Atlanta. Okay. Wow. Jeez. So yeah, we were like, Oh shit! <laughs> so how, and, do the, uh, how does uh, how does that come together? Do sponsors like support uh, you? And... Most of it's out of our pocket. Okay. Yeah. It's uh, so yeah, we found a motor and threw it in and had to rewire some stuff and 
made it work. But yeah, that was a it was an all nighter and then an all nighter driving to Atlanta. So well, not only that, that it has to perform different then. Oh, I yeah. mean, with a yep. different engine. Yeah, because we went from a supercharged six liter to a naturally aspirated five uh, seven. So we were down uh, probably close to 200 horsepower. Wow. So it was a, it was a bit of a challenge. Uh, so what, how do you have to drive it differently when you lose that much horsepower? What changes? Uh, we, we had to change the rear suspension a little bit, actually pull grip out of the car because it wasn't able to keep the tires spinning enough for us hmm. to make it the full length of the track and uh, reach all those outer zones and stuff. So all this learning and all this ability to set the car up and everything, you kind of learned as you went and just yeah. figured it out. yeah. That's because uh, a lot of the people on the the Facebook thread that I made for questions were all like, "How do I get into this? How do I do it?" And really, the answer seems to be just go do it. Yeah, just that, get out there yeah, and drive. That's it. about all you can do. That's the only way to learn. You know, you can read all the internet threads you want, but yeah, get in your car and go do donuts. I go guess. hit some tires. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, what what can we do to uh, support Alec Robbins Racing? Where do we find you on social media and stuff uh, like that? We are on Instagram and on Facebook at Alec Robbins Racing. And then we also have a website, alecrobbinsracing.com. And where will you be racing next? Uh, our next event, I believe, will be Power Cruise. We'll okay. be up there. Where's that Brainerd. at? Okay, so the next oh, event is here. Yeah. Okay. So uh, that's, uh, I think we're, we're going to try and bring both the truck and the car up there and uh, kind of have those on display. And then uh, the week after that is uh, Formula Drift uh, down in St. Louis. So Okay, well, maybe we should try and get up there and take a look at this. I really want to yeah, see it. Yeah, for Brainerd, definitely. Yeah, it's right Brainerd. in our backyard. Jump in the car, take you for a ride. That would be great. <laughs> I would uh, like I would, that, I would, too. I love that very much. Um, so we're going to get into a, a news article that I wanted to, uh, to talk about this week. You want to hang out and just chill? Yeah, yeah oh, definitely. Cool. Would like to take a moment to talk about our sponsor, the sponsor being Further Performance. As we know, they're a local Twin Cities-based automotive specialist, and they truly love European cars. So when you have a problem with your car, you know you can bring it to them and trust that they know what they're doing because they focus on these cars all the time, and they really have the passion to do so. Uh, whether it's maintenance or a full restoration, or maybe if you needed to have the engine rebuilt and didn't want to do it yourself, <laughs> you know, you could bring it to Further Performance. You can find those guys at fptuned.com. That's fptuned.com. All right. Okay. Now, <laughs> as I was saying. Go ahead. And we, I think we were both on the same page. We both wanted to talk about this. So, no, I, yeah, yeah, I definitely did. This is exciting. So Pikes Peak, as we know, the big hill climb out in Colorado, and Volkswagen was building a car specifically to tackle the record that was at Pikes Peak. The existing record, just so we get it out of the way, is 8 minutes and 13 seconds to get up the, what is it, 12.42 mile, 13 miles of these twisty road. And that was that Peugeot, right? It was a 3.2 liter twin turbo V6 Peugeot. Yes, it was. That Sebastian Loeb drove. Right. right. Is he a Formula One driver, Sebastian? No, Loeb? I think he's a rally driver. Oh, that makes sense. Peugeot 208. Yep. Okay. So it was a rally car, basically. So they took their, their Volkswagen car here, and it's a twin engine. Uh, where do we have it? I lost my, my place here. Oh, yes. It is a. I hate you, Chris. <laughs> you want me to help you out right now? Yes. <laughs> it's two us. motors and two battery packs wrapped around the driver's cockpit. Yep. So I don't have a photo of this thing, but I can't imagine being in this cockpit. I couldn't find any pictures. Yeah. Like packed. It's like 670 horsepower. Is yeah, what it is. The equivalency. And, uh, zero to 60 in 2.2 seconds. Well, it only weighs 2,500 pounds, which for an electric car with all those batteries in there. It doesn't have that many batteries. When they got to the end, the batteries were dead. Okay, so they only so need like, to last so like a few is, minutes. Is it an engine in the back and an engine in the front and then like batteries in the passenger kind of thing? One, on, yeah. one each, so, on each axle is okay. the, the electric motor. Yeah, and then motors. the batteries are just surrounding you just for the weight. And what's really cool about these Pikes Peak cars is how crazy the aerodynamics are because yeah. there's no air up there, like right. 5,000 to 14,000 feet. So they just have these huge wings and it's i, I, love I that. is a uh, pikes peak is that full t- uh paved now it's it paved is yeah. so and we'll get to that here in a minute but what the car did let's hear the time it did it in seven minutes 57 seconds which is crazy to think of some of the other times of cars yep. this year so a 2017 porsche gt3r which is basically a fucking race car it's a race car did nine minutes 37 seconds yep so what did that thing do again seven, this did a 757 so basically that wasn't even close it's like 40 seconds off right the time like a gt a gt3 right and way down on the list is 11 minutes and 38 seconds a dodge challenger 
Which I'm curious if that was just a production car that someone rented in Denver and drove it up the, <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Have a tank of gas. Yeah, it's yeah very, basically. very well it could have been. Um, and then like a Cayman GT4, which is no slouch at all. Those are baller. Is a, was 1123. Right. So this thing was savagely fast. Yeah. And so as you were talking about, it is lighter with, you know, just the two batteries that run out. The other thing they did to keep it light is these batteries are super high tech and they're not water cooled. I didn't realize that most electric vehicles use basically a water cooled battery. Right. So this is an air-cooled battery in a Volkswagen, which I just made the connection. <laughs> this is an air-cooled Volkswagen, <laughs> right? Is, That's awesome. Is. I love it. So to your point, Alec, though, it is paved all the way up. So it used to be in 19... What year did it first open? Because it was basically just a trail up yeah. to the top it's, of the mountain. It is the second oldest motorsports event in the hemisphere behind the like the Indianapolis 500, I think. Why would you say hemisphere? What's older in the rest of the world? I don't know, but that's just what <laughs> okay, I read. It's, it's, okay. I don't want to say in the country. I'm saying the hemisphere, like okay. the North America, South America. I mean, this is a, it's an old event. It's, it's, a big it's been around forever. <laughs> it's a big you look deal. at some of the old pictures of like the old open wheel cars, just like with a dude with goggles on, just like, fuck yeah. it. And he's like sideways and there's dirt flying all over the place. And it's just like sheer cliffs on each side. I mean, you've got right. a wall drifting next to you, right, yeah. but imagine like being on dirt and then there's just nothing. A cliff, but, right? Just death. Yeah. It's know. like the, uh, the Ken block picture of him, you know, on the, that evil corner, just the evil corner. Yep. Yep. <laughs> so yeah, they had it. Um, traditionally it was paved up to, I think the first mile of it was, yep. and then they have slowly been paving the entire mm-hmm. track and, and now it is fully paved, and which why? is a why disappointment is it fully paved? because, well, first of all, it's disappointing because the whole cool factor of Pikes Peak is you're just sliding through gravel. You're drifting around right. these corners right on the edge. For me, the coolest thing is that it was tarmac and gravel. So you had, so to, you had to build a car for both. Yeah. Right. And you had to fight elevation and the engineering that you had to put and uh, driving skill you had to do to do both. And the engineering to build a car that would be able to do it was really, really cool. To be able to do all these different facets right. was, was really, really special. And I think that it got ruined. When by they, having it paved. By having it paved. And you know, it's, yeah. the Pikes Peak International Hill Climb, the organization that put this on, fought this tooth and nail. They did. Against the paving. What and actually it, happened was the Sierra Club. Bastards. Which is. <laughs> Bunch uh, of. It's a liberal environmental um, agency, I guess we'll call it. They don't want roads at all. No, right. it's really interesting. So usually they're like, oh, paving is bad because, you know, it's it's more, you know, you Petroleum. have to make all the tar yeah. and everything else. But in this instance, they fought to have this paved because they actually sued the state in 1998, claiming that 1.5 million tons of gravel were being dumped on the streams and the polluting the vegetation and choking the wetlands everywhere around the mountain. So here's my theory. They thought that if they made them pave it, they would quit. No. I, I bet that was they were crossing their fingers that, man, we're going to ruin this event. We don't all these stupid cars coming out. And you're burning all this gasoline. We're going to fuck them over and ruin their event. And I pave the whole thing. I guarantee you that that was done over red wine and some stupid little hors d'oeuvres that you they had like at their Sierra wine, Club. Chris? Not when I'm uh, in the Sierra Club. Anybody in the Sierra I'm Club? I'm a red-blooded Republican beer drinker over here. <laughs> oh, boy. No, I, the only reason I'm disagreeing is I did read it, and it was like the leader of uh, this club that was – There's they actually have a chapter of the Sierra Club that's just about this Pikes Peak initiative, which is how big of a deal it was for them. And they were talking about how she was like hiking up the trail and saw all the water runoff from the water and infecting the streams, and the streams are running brown isn't instead it, of crystal uh, Isn't it pretty clear. much all dirt around the tar, though? So, well, I mean, that's the thing, yeah. That it's paved, and it's, that's yeah. what they tried <laughs> to say is just running. because it's paved, not only that, the water's going to run down quicker, yeah. right? Yeah. So it's going to make erosion yeah. worse. So well, it, I don't want to get too much into the environmental <laughs> thing. It, it, it pisses me off, though. I mean, it just... It, right, because it did leave, lose some of that, that cool factor and the old, yeah. you know, appeal they always gotta, There's always somebody that's got to ruin something for somebody. Like, there was... I, I was pulling into my buddy's neighborhood. <laughs> okay. And I'm, I'm driving my 911. It's, it's loud. It's a loud car. And I'm just... I'm literally tootling in at, like, second gear barely on the gas and this woman is walking her dog and she puts her dog's leash in her armpit and puts her fingers in her ears <laughs> as i drive making by. a big show of it making for you. a big yeah. show of it. like i don't want to hear how loud your appliance is mm-hmm. like okay so i just right when i got right next to her i just revved the shit out of it <laughs> it was i was so offensive to me that she she was doing that on purpose just to like because it's not that loud right you can still have a conversation while you're standing next to right. the thing Anyway, so that's all we have for for news. I just wanted to get that one get that one out there for you guys. I really want to thank Alec for coming in. 
we're gonna have to come see you. Yeah, I definitely. think would be would, would would be really cool. And maybe I can uh, maybe I'll write something since I like to write about experience I haven't had before. I'm a yeah. journalist, so maybe yeah, I'll be fun. bring my camera and and do some stuff. Yeah, That'd be I'd very love cool. To have you guys up there. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you, Alec. And with that, I think we'll end this episode. Yeah, we'll see you guys midweek.